Hey, my friend, have you known your pet in a past life? Well, believe it or not, a lot of people have. You can check out case histories and find out more about your connections to your little fuzzballs in my book, Past Lives with Pets. Check it out and find out today. The Healing Arts Program is not intended as a substitute for consultation with a licensed medical or mental health professional. The listener should regularly consult a physician or mental health professional in matters relating to his or her health, and particularly with respect to any symptoms that may require diagnosis or medical attention. This program provides content related to educational, medical, and psychological topics. As such, listening to the program implies your acceptance of this disclaimer. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Hey, dear one. I hope you're doing great. So happy Easter. I hope you're having a beautiful Easter Sunday with your family or friends or whatever it is you're doing. It has been a beautiful day here today. I got outside, enjoyed the flowers and the trees and the birds and the animals. Very, very wonderful. So I hope wherever you are that you're having a beautiful day filled with peace, joy, and love. Have you ever wondered if we have a specific destiny that we are supposed to fulfill when we arrive here? And I, this is just things that I think about a lot. Like, where does that destiny that we're supposed to have, let's say if we do, how does that mix in with our free will and the choices and decisions that we make and the different twists and turns that the road of life often takes us on? So that's the theme of the book that I'm going to discuss today with my amazing guest, Joanne DiMaggio. So let's check it out. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I have the fabulous Joanne DiMaggio on the show. So let me read you her bio. So Joanne DiMaggio is actively involved with the Edgar Casey Foundation, And since 1987, she has actually been the coordinator for ARE Charlottesville since August of 2008. She earned a master's in transpersonal studies and a spiritual mentor certification through Atlantic University. She's given talks on past lives, life between lives, and she does soul writing, which we want to ask her about today. And also, um, she's been professionally pursuing past life research and therapy for over 30 years, and she once headed her own past life research center, where she interacted with some of the country's leading past life professionals. She's the author of six books, and she's got this incredible book. You are not going to believe what we're going to talk about today. Her book is called Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. Joanne, welcome <laughs> to Healing Arts. This is incredible. Thank you, Shelly. I'm so glad to be here with you. You had me a hello. <laughs> I love it. I love Edgar Casey. Everybody knows that. But Thomas Jefferson Reborn, This is there's so much in these life readings. I know there is, isn't there? Yes, yes. This is fascinating. So, okay. I don't, I don't want to spoil the surprise. So tell us what this book is about. Well, uh, when uh, there was a baby boy born in 1936, who was the nephew of Gladys Davis, who everyone that knows Casey knows that that's his secretary, right? Well, the baby uh, uh, was born to Gladys's brother and sister-in-law, and they were uh, heavily into alcohol and gambling at the time. And so when TJ was born, he, he said he came out looking like a piece of wood. He was all dried up from being in a womb that was slushing around in alcohol, he said. 
So Gladys contacted Mr. Casey, who already knew all of this, right? So then Gladys, he says, bring, bring him over. He'll be fine. So Gladys wraps the baby, two days old, wraps the baby up, brings him over to Mr. Casey. Mr. Casey gives him, a, a, you know, says what to do for his health. He, well, TJ remember, says that he, Mr. Casey said, give him carnation milk and he'll be fine. Well, they did. And he was. And then Mr. Casey gave this baby a life reading. And he said that this, this soul had been, uh, he gave him four past lives. One was as Alexander the Great, and the other one was Thomas Jefferson. And there were two more. One was in Atlantis and one was in the early days of France. But those are the two that stand out, Alexander and Jefferson. Wow. But what he added to that reading was that this soul could do for the world what Jefferson did for this country. My book is about why that never happened. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you and, knew TJ, is that correct? Oh, I know him. I just was on the phone with him this morning. He lives here in Charlottesville. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's one of the, you know, he's, he's uh, he won't mind my saying, he's 84 years old now. He is uh, one of the very few living uh, recipients of a reading that are left, you know, because Mr. Right. Casey died in 1945. Uh, he lived with the Casey's. He lived with Mr. Casey on and off for the first eight and a half years of his life because his parents didn't, didn't, couldn't really raise him. And he knew that coming in. He knew he wanted to be with Mr. Casey. His soul wanted to be with Mr. Casey because he had been with him in many lifetimes before. But he, he thought, well, how am I going to get in? Because by the time he looked in on him, Mr. Casey wasn't having any more children. Then he thought, I'll come in through Gladys, but she wasn't married or having children. So then his little soul comes up with this ingenious idea. I'll come in through Gladys's brother. And I know my parents won't want to raise me because they've got their own issues that they're working through. And the last thing they want is a baby. And I'll get to Mr. Casey through Gladys. And sure enough, that's what happened. So the first eight and a half years of his life, he lived on and off in the Casey household. And Mr. Casey absolutely adored this little baby, this little boy. And so the book chronicles their life together, the things that TJ saw on, uh, at the Casey household, the, the lessons he got out on the pier. Mr. Casey would take him, from the time he was two, they'd go out and they'd be fishing. There's such adorable pictures of them doing that. Uh, and then while they were out on the pier, Mr. Casey's pouring all this information in the vessel of this little boy, telling him about reincarnation and karma and the creation story and how to read auras and, and see fairies and all this stuff um, and really grooming him. But he had also said, yeah, he can do these things provided that he gets a certain type of upbringing and education. And this is where free will came in. So the book is really a love story about Mr. Casey and this child and all that Mr. Casey saw as a potential for this child and why uh, it didn't happen because of the free, of free will issues on the part of TJ's parents. So they put him on a whole different trajectory. So the book goes, the first part of the book is all about the years he spent with the Casey's. The second part are his own uh, stories, which I think are also equally interesting. Uh, so that's it. Not, I didn't give it to you in a nutshell, but that's, that's the basic yeah, story. That's fantastic. So did, I mean, I guess he remembered a lot of these things or did you use hypnotic regression to? He wouldn't let me regress him. Oh, he wouldn't? No, um, I offered that a couple of times. He, um, he hadn't told his story in a long time. And then I, I uh, after we met in 1996, uh, we became friends. And uh, over the years I was saying, you know, I would really love to, to write about your story because I feel like he's been maligned in many ways because people, because he didn't fulfill that prophecy, you know, they're thinking that, wow, you really, you could have done so much for the world and you didn't do anything, you know, not stopping to think about why that happened. Um, and so I encouraged him to come and talk about his years with Mr. Casey to small little conversation groups here in Charlottesville of ARE members. And he did that and I recorded those. And then I had interviews with him to fill in the blanks. And then I spent eight years going back and forth to Virginia Beach to go to the archives. 
the Edgar Hasey Foundation archives. And that's where the, um, I worked very carefully with Karen Davis, who worked there at the time. Karen is, is a member of the Davis family. She is, um, uh, she's married to a, a Davis. Uh, so she's in that way related to TJ and related to, to Gladys. And, um, and so Karen would bring out all the files to me of, you know, of Mr. Casey and Gladys and, and TJ and his parents and his grandmother, anybody that had interaction with him. So I went through these files as much as I could in any one given sitting and started to piece together a chronological picture of his life. And so um, working with Karen, I used historic documentation to pull this together and then to pick and choose the stories that TJ himself told. Um, because a lot of what's in the book, when he read the book, he didn't even know about it because <laughs> he never bothered to look in his file. So a lot of this was, was like news to him too about some of the background information and the letters that were going back and forth and the efforts that Mr. Casey was making to keep his parents together, get him educated, you know, at a specific school that he had picked out for him and everything. So it's almost like there was a tug of war for TJ's soul going on between Mr. Casey and Gladys and TJ's parents. So, you know, that's all chronicled in the book as well. Wow. Was it a real karmic link, I guess I want to say, identified between the tug of war that was going on? Is that something that they had done in the past, do you think? I yeah, I, I don't know if they did it in the past or not. I know. I guess that, you didn't get to regress him though. Well, no, no. I mean, he, you know, he, Mr. Casey would talk to him about some of their prior lifetimes and so would Gladys. But the dynamics of the family, you know, of the souls that were, because, yeah. you know, we, we travel as a soul family. We're in a pod together, right? right? So the dynamics of, you know, how they always change lifetime to lifetime. So I don't really know in any given life uh, lifetime. I know that Gertrude, uh, Mr. Casey's wife, Gertrude asked once in a reading what her connection was to TJ. And I guess she had been an, uh, like a nursemaid to him in one, at one point. So there were, um, they were together on and off in, in a lot of lifetimes. And karmically that relationship, I, I'm not sure how it played out except between Mr. Casey and, um, and Gladys and TJ specifically. Uh, and, uh, and it, I think it's a beautiful story. I mean, it, it, it can, is. some people who read it, you know, might say, gee, this is awfully depressing. Well, but that's, that was life. And the lesson really is about how this, like Mr. Casey would say, in this life, a soul gains and this life, a soul loses. So you don't, just because you were Thomas Jefferson in a previous life does not mean that in every subsequent life, you're going to be going further and further up you know, in, in elevation in, in terms of people's right. admiration. Um, even Casey, you know, was Rata in one life, but Bainbridge in another. So, um, so anyway, as someone who like me that, that does past life research, uh, I'm so passionate about that and, uh, and loves history. Combining the two was <laughs> really fascinating to me. So yeah, but it's really not about Thomas Jefferson as much as people think. I don't want them to think about it because uh, <laughs> I've already gotten uh, some emails from other Thomas Jeffersons, shall we say? Oh you my know, goodness. After you oh, were, yeah. yeah, yeah, where they're going, you've done a disservice to humanity by not saying that there is more than one Thomas Jefferson. Well, I believe one soul to one body. So no, I don't That's go, what I believe. you know, so, uh, but anyway, it's, uh, he does have some interesting stories about his tie-in with Jefferson. So even though he never had a regression, he still he still remembers a lot that that comes up at the most unexpected moments, you know. And I tell some of those stories in the book. I think that you know you're bringing up an interesting point. People always ask me like, "Have you regressed famous people?" And one year I had regressed like six Cleopatras, Dallas, <laughs> Texas. You know, it's like, and do yeah. I believe all of them were Cleopatra? You know, probably yeah. not. You know, but some, I am like you, like one soul, one body. The thing is, is that the Casey material and the source, when he brought source through, I mean, that's just so profound, all of the truth that did come out of those readings that I would be more inclined to believe that than a lot of other things, let's just say. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I don't know that Mr. Casey was ever wrong. I don't. And, uh, and um, uh, I don't, he would never have said that, uh, you know, to, to, to that he actually named 
the baby, Thomas Jefferson Davis. Oh. That's what the TJ is for. It's for Thomas Jefferson Davis. Because the doctor expected that told them he, the baby wouldn't live more than three days. And so when he came over, he had a he had the birth certificate, but he had no name on it. And he said, you know, we have no name for this baby. And Mr. Casey piped up and said, call him Thomas Jefferson. Now, whether he said that because he knew of the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, or because he had a relative by that name. Uh, so I, I, we don't know, but I believe it's because he knew who he, he had been. And, uh, and so he gave them that name. So, so imagine you're, you're two days old and you're told this. I mean, this is just to me as a, as a writer, a reporter for the universe, which is what I like to call myself. I just found this whole thing fascinating. I really did. And, I, and I, if you talk to TJ now, he'll tell you it's more his connection to Edgar Casey that's important to him than it is the, the Jefferson. He hardly ever talks about Jefferson, you know, when we have conversations. Uh, but having a conversation with him is um, very profound. I mean, really, the stuff that, that, that when we get into a discussion, I could just listen to him for, for hours and, and never be bored because he's got such a and he said to me he said you know Joanne all the answers to every problem that the that mankind has they're all in the readings all the answers are in the readings yeah. but, but nobody knows to go there and you know what I believe that that prophecy that Mr. Casey gave for TJ about doing for the world what Jefferson did for this country I think it has to do with the 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 readings. I don't think it has to do with Jefferson or global initiatives or anything like that. I think what he meant was, because when they were out, out on the pier, they're, they're not talking about Jefferson or history. They were talking about reincarnation. They were talking about karma. They were talking about the creation story. And so I think he was grooming him to share that information with the world, you know, and then that way he would make profound changes. We were just talking about that this morning. He, he still feels compelled to even he's 84 years old he's still feel and he's up on this mountain he's sort of living like a, a recluse up on this mountain he has no he has no uh, wi-fi service or anything but he still wants to get the word out you know so i really hope that this book will will help do that and then oh, that way know. he'll fulfill that he'll fulfill that reading in that way yeah that's right because i, I who you know this is the problem okay Lots of, there's a traffic jam in my brain right now. You know, like, okay, just because someone's a famous person in a past life, who cares, right? Because right. we're here at this moment to do the works at this moment. And the next piece is we have this preconceived notion of what we think this world changing situation is going to be. But what if God had a different plan, which is what if through this book, you don't know who this book's going to reach. I think it should reach a lot of people. You know, and so just because it doesn't have the wrapping paper of whatever we thought it should look like doesn't mean he's not fulfilling that destiny. And yeah. everyone has hard times. I mean, you know, he obviously came to do different things. Well, you know, he um, he was only eight and a half when Mr. Casey died. So he could he, he never got that second life reading. And he couldn't at that point in his life determine his future because he was too young. So he was totally dependent on his parents. Gladys couldn't help him much anymore because she was too busy after Casey died trying to save the readings and right. keep the ARE afloat. So she, her time was even less limited. So he said he, he felt like, um, he said, my life after Casey died went from applause to yawn. And before that, everybody was like always patting him on the head. And, you know, they knew who he was. They knew what his reading had been. They knew um, how Mr. Casey felt about this boy. And, uh, and great things were being planned around him, really. And then when Mr. Casey died, that all ended, abruptly ended. And then he was thrown from pillar to post. Nobody took uh, responsibility for him. He was no longer being nurtured. Uh, he had hoped maybe somebody at ARE would take him under their wing and continue his education there, but that never happened. He couldn't even get a job there later on when he was older. So um, he just, he really, um, he became lost. He was a lost soul. He didn't know what to do because to him, the reality was living with the Casey's and seeing people being levitated and talking about the pyramids and all these souls coming in and out of the, of the Casey home that had been so many truly, you know, interesting people, you know, especially all these people from the Bible that yeah. were coming through. 
but it was normal. That was normal for him. Imagine then going from that environment to an average home. If he went to visit a friend, they, to him, this was like, you know, to them, it was like voodoo, whatever he was into. So he was, he didn't, he didn't know what to do. So he kept being sent to his grandmother's to live, being, you know, to an aunt and uncle to, you know, he had no stable home life. And he certainly was not sent to the school that Edgar Casey wanted him to go to. And so he didn't, he did not get the, the, the upbringing that Mr. Casey said was vital for him to be able to go on and do this work. So, um, but I think all these years he's really been uh, laboring under the misconception that it was to be something globally, uh, uh, like a, 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 um, something to do with the government or something to do with politics or something like that. And I think everybody, honestly, I think everybody missed it, that that's not what Mr. Casey was talking about at all. But no, but I didn't get clarity of that myself until the end of the project. And I thought, oh my God, this is what Casey meant, you know? So, um, so there's still time <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, that, that uh, I can get him to uh, participate a little bit more and be a part of the process. And because people, I'll tell you, when people hear him, they hang on his every word. I mean, he me he's mesmerizing when he speaks. And so, um, so I, think he, I think the very fact that he had been Thomas Jefferson is what it maybe initially attracts people to him. Oh, let's go hear Thomas Jefferson speak, you know? But then when he starts talking about the Casey material instead of politics, you know, he already has his audience. You know, they're, they're hanging on his every word. So I think, I think that's really what this is all about. And the documentation really that you've done and the research you've done is so amazing because like you said, if this is the last, one of the last people, if not the last person to ever receive an actual reading and that he lived with the Casey family. I mean, there's just no one around anymore who really knew Edgar Casey in that way. And that's why this is, oh. your book is just such an important contribution to that. That's going to live on and just give people more of an inner look at not just the life readings, which we know are phenomenal, we know they're accurate and amazing, but the actual man, yes. Casey, I mean, which I think we just don't get a chance to see in the way, you know, that you've done here so beautifully. I think this is a hit. I oh, mean, thank you. It. Yeah, thank you. I, I, that's what struck me. I mean, there were times I had to stop when I was doing the research. I just sat there and I cried because it was so beautiful, the, yeah. the love. I mean, you know, Casey would refer to TJ as his precious boy, I mean, you know, and, and why would he spend all that time with that child, you know, teaching right. him all of that, taking him out on that pier, talking about, you know, teaching him about how to read auras and the creation story is the one that, that TJ loves the most, because he said, if everybody understood the creation story, the way Mr. Casey taught it, he said, we would, it would be a different world. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I want him to, that I, that I hope to get across in, in the book and, and that people will, maybe one person reading it'll shift in their thinking or they'll go back and into the readings and they'll look that up. Well, what did Mr. Casey say about creation, you know, or, or some way that we can just spread, spread the news about the reading, which is all we really wanted to do is about, it's really about the Casey teachings that, that yes. TJ is so, so attached to. And like I said, he doesn't talk about Jefferson and, uh, or Alexander. He really, I think he doesn't like Alexander's life. He's, I don't, I don't see why anybody calls him great. He says, he's not so great. All the people that he killed, you know, so he, yeah. he has, uh, but if you read the book, and you find out uh, after the Marine Corps, he actually made a trip through Europe and unbeknownst to him, he retraced Alexander's uh, path when Alexander was out conquering the world. He didn't yeah. know he was following that exact path. Although he said some people would react to him in some Eastern country, well, in Greece, especially in some other places, they, they treated him like he was their king. I mean, they treated him like royalty and they didn't understand why, you know, um, or he'd use the Jefferson card sometimes to get out of uh, out of uh, some situations he was in in Italy and Rome. Uh, so those stories are really they're fascinating, and they're funny, and uh, and uh, they're so unique to him, you know. But um, but what's missing is he never had a um, 
he never had the career path that he he was intended to have. That's where the trajectory uh, took him away. He's he never held a single job that had anything to do with um, the Casey material or anything like that. He was never in a position where he could discuss it uh, with anybody. And for for years and years, decades, he kept quiet. He didn't say anything because he didn't want people to think he was crazy. And uh, you know, uh, and and I I assume you also want to protect you know his children from. Uh, you know, your father thinks he's Thomas Jefferson. I mean, that's that's the kind of world we live in. Yeah, but, uh, unfortunately. You know, but he, you know, here he lives. Actually, the, the little mountain that he's living on now, he says if he goes to the top with binoculars, he can actually see Monticello, which is Jefferson's home here in Charlottesville. So he, can you imagine if you were you're studying with binoculars and you're looking out at, at your former glorious home and all these people are coming through you know, and uh, he has some funny stories about going to Monticello too. So I think I think that it's uh, the book combines his unique sense of humor with some wisdom and some profound ideas as well. Absolutely. So what do you think the mix is between, you know, that we have a purpose here? I've always thought we have divine appointments, like we're meant to meet certain people at certain times, but how that does intermix with our own free will and other things that can come up. I don't know. It's just something that I do spend some time thinking about. What do you think about that when you hear, especially TJ's story, because this is incredible. Yeah, he had so many synchronicities going on in his life, you know, that would just um, reinforce the Casey readings about him. And uh, in one of the chapters in the book early on, I do go through the whole reading and indicate what Casey said and then how it actually materialized in TJ's current life. But I mean, he and I met that way, it was divine orchestration that we met. I was trying to reach him in 1987 when I first got involved with the ARE. A friend of mine told me, she said, did you know that Edgar Casey did a life reading on number 1208? That's his life reading number. Um, so if you're ARE members, you could go into the, uh, on the, the Casey, uh, uh, edgarcasey.org and you could look the reading up and read it for yourself. You can read all the readings. But well, you should there. read Joanne's book, friends. But read my book first, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, but yeah, he had a lot. There was, a, you know, we met that way. It was, it was synchronicity. It was a divine orchestration. Yeah. Uh, and I, I chronicle that in the beginning of the book as well. So, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, uh, people from that time period, uh, you know, have materialized in this life uh, for him uh, and, and for me as well. And they come in with a purpose and sometimes they stay in your life. Other times they, they do what they need to do for you, challenge or support you, and then they cycle off out of your life. But, uh, you know, he's had, uh, he's met many, many, many interesting people. Um, and a lot of people who know about the Jefferson Connection who believed that they had been in that life as well. Many of them weren't. And he, he, he very he very easily identifies, they, I didn't know that, I didn't know them. That's not who Martha was, you know. Uh, but, um, but it's just interesting how, um, you know, nothing is random. Mr. Casey said nothing is, there's a purpose for every soul. And, um, and so, you know, I just tell people, watch for synchronicities around you. When you've opened up to this and you want to know more, the universe will send you more information and they'll send the people to you. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there is free will in, in the direction that our soul will go, but we're given some help along the way. We've got memory triggers that have been embedded in us in that life between life session. So, um, so that gets, that gets uh, triggered at the most uh, unexpected ways, unexpected times. And uh, so I have met people from that lifetime, uh, and I just I just find it fascinating that when you remember your past lives and you can talk about them in in company that will accept that kind of a conversation, you know, it is it is a feeling like no other. Yeah. And if you loved somebody from another life and they come in your life now it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. And so the value of past life work is tremendous. And I'm just very humble that I'm a part of it 
for for so many people. Absolutely. And the other thing I like about DJ's story, though, you know, is that his life trajectory. Mr. Casey was no longer there. He went out on his path. Normal people are, we're fighting our way out of the normalcy box, trying to find the spiritual realm. I mean, he did the exact opposite. That's yeah. a very unique journey. And it just feels to me like your book, the way you put this together, you know, that destiny that he was to fulfill, I feel is being fulfilled through that book. And the in-between spaces, the things that he learned to me, it kind of shows also you know, that just because we have a purpose and we have this spiritual mission that we're trying to do, that doesn't mean our lives are going to just roll out like a beautiful red carpet in front of us. You know, we're still going to have challenges and things. And when we overcome those, then we still get to the same place, but maybe it didn't look quite exactly like we thought, yeah. but the end result is the same. And I, I think he's done some really amazing things and your, your telling of it and the, the research is just amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's what I hoped. I, I felt like I had made a promise to him when our souls were still in between lives I'm sure. that I would write this book for him. And so I have feeling that Gladys in keeping all of those papers, she kept everything. She kept his drawings. She kept uh, cards that he got. She kept his report cards. She kept uh, just letters. And you know, they were all done back then on carbon paper, right? Right. So when I was looking at all of that, I, and I always felt like, and there were times, Shelley, that I put that book away, that manuscript, because I couldn't stand it anymore. Right. And sometimes, you know, I was, I felt like I was living with these people. They were all gone, but they were still with me, right? And yeah. there were times I wanted to get to his mother and just wring her neck because I knew what was coming and I knew the choices she was making and I knew what was gonna happen. And I thought, oh, Berlin, please do something. Wake up, wake up, you know, do something different, make another decision. I knew it had to play out the way it did. And I felt that Edgar Casey and Gladys Davis were on either side of me through this whole writing process I'm because sure. I felt like I don't want to write this story anymore. I'm done, you know, or something would happen uh, and, and I would just get frustrated. And I was, uh, I knew that there were people that did not want me to write this book. So I felt like I was walking on eggshells half the time. Uh, and I thought, how am I going to do this? And, and uh, you know, um, but I kept going, I, I kept going against all, and I knew that it might receive some criticism from people that I admired and cared about. A lot of red flags were going up, but I just, something, in, this just makes no sense. Something inside of me just kept me focused on this because I thought, no, there's something more here. There's an injustice that was done to this little boy, to this, who you know, that things could have gone differently if only, right? So. Yeah. I wanted to show to, yeah, it, it can be depressing. You get, you get sad at times reading about it, uh, but you're also moved uh, enormously right. by the love, the tremendous love on a soul level. This is a completely different kind of love that they had for each other. And, um, and I just thought this was just the most beautiful story I, I had ever heard. And I, I think it had been twisted over the years to make TJ look like the villain, you know, like he had not fulfilled, he was, you know, it was a wasted life and all that. And I never saw it that way. Yeah, and I thought, cool. you know, I, how are we gonna fix this? How are we gonna, how are we gonna let people know what you know and, and share with the love and, and all that. And to me, this was the way to do it. So I'm very proud. I've written a lot of books, but this one, I am especially proud of it. I mean, it took a long time, eight years to, to get it together. But I've never been prouder of, of something I've written than, than this book. You should be proud because it's, I mean, it's just, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a mark on the historical record. It's a healing for TJ. It's, it's something, again, that we can get to know Edgar Casey. We're not going to get this opportunity every no. day that we're here more. On, I, I don't know, like a lot. I know Charles Thomas had past and just other people in the Casey family there's still some Casey's around but you're never going to have anybody who was really with him like that and so yeah. it's just such a gift for everybody to have access to that material yeah and so it was some of the stories were so sweet you know like yeah TJ would throw rocks up at the window so that Mr. Casey would come out and play with him or they went to the movies together they would go on scavenger hunts on the beach together uh 
you know, uh, you know, just everyday living, just sitting at the, the kitchen table eating or going out and catching fish for dinner or, you know, just day-to-day -day kinds of stories that nobody else alive can tell. Nobody. So I know that at Congress every year that they have people that are still around who are alive that had readings, but they didn't know Edgar Casey. You know, they had gotten a reading somehow, but but they didn't they didn't live with him. They didn't really know him. They didn't interact with him. They didn't know what his voice sounded like. They didn't know his mannerisms. You know, uh, and I think that that TJ's perspective, being this little observer in the house, you know. He slept on the bed that Mr. Casey used to lie on to do the readings, you know, or he'd go into the vault and there'd be all these bags of letters and he'd lie on them. And one day Mr. Casey came in and saw that and he laughed. He says, you're never going to get to know what's in there the way I do, you know, and they talk about that. They talk about um, what do you want to do when you grow up and, and, uh, uh, you know, um, stories about Egypt and TJ used to say, you know, he talked to me like we've known each other for 10,000 years because we have. You know? And he said, but if anybody would wander by and listen to that conversation, they think we were crazy. But to us, that was normal. That's how we talked to each other. So I wish I were a fly on the wall and, and oh, yeah. been there to hear, see that because I think this is the, the next best thing, though. Absolutely. I've got this new book that just came out about um, ancestors and this genealogical regression process idea where we go kind of oh. remote view and heal our ancestors oh, cool. and there's exercises I, I was just teaching a workshop about it and you're just reminding me of that because i put a lot in there about like what if you were adopted and just talking about the soul contract of some a soul who will adopt you and in essence that's really the relationship between casey and tj because it defies that's like a higher level you know, yeah. you're not related by blood and yet you love that other soul so much. And that in this case, in the case of Casey and TJ, it just comes from something that's 10,000 years old, but yeah. it just speaks to the connection that, you know, the love is so deep at a soul level. It's so important and it's so profound and it's really, really inspiring to people to yeah. read about those kinds of connections because they're real and amazing. They are real and they're rare. Um, Very and, rare. Uh, that's why I always felt that that TJ really should be embraced as the treasure that he is, and that uh, you know, yeah, his he chose, he made some choices in this life that, you know, um, I don't believe any choice is wrong necessarily because it's all part of your soul's growth, but um, you know, maybe he didn't turn out the way so and so thought he should turn out, and well, that's not for you to say, you know, this is. Uh, uh, there's a lot more going on here than, um, and I think if he had been raised differently, if he had, if his parents had followed the Casey uh, plan for TJ, that it would have been different, but they didn't. And that's what we're left with. But he's, he's, you know, he's got free will too. He can, he can change this around. This morning, he called me at least four times with new ideas. He's so charged up now <laughs> to do different things to, to try to fulfill that that destiny, because you know that's been weighing heavy on him all these years. You know that that he uh, he didn't understand. He said, "I was I would have been told what this meant if we had had that second reading, but I'm lost. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I'm supposed to be doing." So, um, but I think we're on the right track now, and uh, God willing, he'll be with us for a, a long time, and yes. uh, and he can he can finally. Um, I know Mr. Casey's looking down on him and Gladys. He says it all the time that they're with him all the time and he dreams about them. And, and, uh, and, uh, and I just feel like on some level, Gladys must have known, all right, I'll put all this information in these files. They'll just sit here for about 70 years until, until they said the universe sends a reporter <laughs> to pull it out and tell the story. So that's how I feel. I, that's the role I feel I played and I'm really very humbled by it very proud of there it. is a destiny to that though you know like you said the synchronicities line up and you answered the call which was to go there and do this work because you're helping um all of them really oh i hope so yeah yeah i yeah. believe so for sure yeah. yeah so how did you ever get into the Edgar casey work in the beginning um when i was a teenager i was reading about reincarnation i was born and raised catholic and uh, that didn't fit sit right with me 
uh, the idea that if you make one mistake and you don't confess it, you go straight to hell. <laughs> so I thought that doesn't seem like the right kind of God I want to be affiliated with. Uh, but then I started reading about Edgar Casey when I was a teenager. I was reading Jess Stern, Ruth Montgomery, yes. and all of that. And um, my first book was The Search for Bridie Murphy. That yes. was the first reincarnation <laughs> book. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that intrigued me. Um, uh, and then I had all kinds of uh, hints when I was growing up of a possible past life to the 18th century. And, uh, and so I thought this is very odd. And uh, there were so many of them, I won't go into them, but uh, ended up uh, getting married, having a family kind of going to sleep for a while, you know what I mean? And yeah. then in 1987, when Shirley MacLaine's Out on a Limb became yes. a miniseries on ABC, uh, I watched that and it was like the big wake up call. You know, ding, ling, ling, all sleeping metaphysicians, time to wake yes. up and do the work, right? So um, she talked a lot about reincarnation in that, in that book and in that series and that lit that flame again in me. And so I wanted to, I thought, well, where do I go now? What do, how do I find like-minded people? And so I knew about Edgar Casey and the ARE and that's the year that I joined the ARE. Uh, and so, um, and uh, I formed my own past life research organization outside of Chicago, it was called Plexus. And, wow. uh, and then when ARE would bring in speakers to talk about reincarnation, I would ask them, would you come over and do a program for my, my group? And they did, and that's how I became friends with um, a lot of the leading uh, uh, people in that field. So like Henry Leo Bolduc, who used to be a big speaker for ARE, uh, and um, uh, I met him uh, through that, and Carolyn Jalone, a lot of the a ARE uh, speakers that were big in the 80s and 90s um, became friends of mine. And then I just continued, Henry Leo Bolduc said to me once, he said, Joanne, you know more about reincarnation than like 95% of the past life therapists that are out there. Why aren't you doing this therapy? I said, no, I'm a writer, I'm a researcher. I don't do therapy. And he goes, well, you should. And he kept on me and kept on me until finally I decided, okay. So I got my um, hypnotherapy certification and uh, and uh, started to do the sessions. And I'm glad that I did because as a researcher, I had a ready-made field of, of, of volunteers. So I'd say, hey, I'm doing a volunteer project on soul writing, or I'm doing it on soulmates, or I'm doing it on uh, uh, physical karma. You know, and so I had no problems uh, having people say, I'll come and, and, and do it, you know. And so all of my books then after that, I, I immersed myself in the research end of it and combine the Casey material with the research. And that's how I was writing uh, all of my books. That is amazing. And you do um, soul writing. I do. Tell I us do. what that is for those who do Mr. Casey called soul writing, his word was inspirational writing. And if you look in the readings, you could look up um, inspirational writing as opposed to automatic writing. They're, they're very different. Uh, Mr. Casey talked about the difference between the two. I decided that was going to be my thesis when I got my master's at Atlantic University. But I, I, uh, when I went on Amazon and I typed in inspirational writing, all Christian genre books popped up. When I typed in automatic writing, I got nothing but occult books. And I thought, Mr. Casey didn't intend for either one of those definitions. But you know, yeah. times had changed. And the term inspirational writing has sort of been uh, taken over by um, the Christian community. And so I knew that's not what he meant by it. So, um, so I wrote, I, I did a, a research project around it. I called it soul writing and uh, wrote, ended up, Henry Reed was my, um, my mentor and he said, Joanne, this would make a great book. <laughs> I said, you know, it would, wouldn't it? So I, 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 I turned it into a book and then had some sequels to it, like how to use it for past life uh, information. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to apply soul writing. Basically for your audience, soul writing is a written form of meditation. So if you think of prayer as you talking to God and meditation as God talking to you, soul writing is you taking the notes from that conversation. Uh, and so uh, it's writing in an altered state of consciousness. And so I have been teaching that uh, and doing workshops on it. I, I teach it individually. 
Um, it's on my website, by the way, anybody that wants to check it out, joannedemajo.com. Um, you can book um, a soul writing session with me or a past life regression, whatever you'd like. Um, but yeah, I, and lately, to be honest, I think because of COVID, it's become even more popular. Interest in it has increased tremendously. Uh, and I'm looking now at ways to mainstream it a little bit more so that we can bring it into, I have a, a, colleague, a, a colleague of mine is the assistant professor at the School of Social Work at Virginia Commonwealth University. She wow. would like to bring it into the university and teach future social workers how to use the technique of soul writing to assist their, their patients or their clients or whatever. So um, I know at the Cancer Center here at the University of Virginia uh, Cancer Center, they, have, um, they, were, they had a flyer out about using a form of writing to, to um, work through the way cancer uh, patients are feeling about dealing with this disease. So it has, it has tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, healing potential. So, um, and now I attach it when I do a, a past life regression or the physical karma sessions usually have a soul writing aspect at the end because you could get in deeper with that. You can get the backstory, you could get guidance. It's like a 24 seven phone home card to spirit. So, uh, nice. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I really, um, I've, I've enjoyed incorporating that into my other work. Absolutely. Yeah. Joanne. I've always felt like all of us who are connected to the Casey work are a soul family. And so you and I had never met before and it's just been such a joy to connect with you. I love your book. And I think everybody out there needs to go get a copy of this. This is amazing work, amazing Thank research. You. I really appreciate the work that you've done. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Coming from you, that's a high compliment. I appreciate it. Yeah. And it was just a joy to meet you. So remember, check Joanne out at joannedimaggio.com. I'm going to give you a link to her wonderful book and highly, highly recommended. Thank so you. Have a wonderful, blessed day. And friends, we have done it again. Another episode of Healing Arts. So until next time, take care. Namaste. We'll be right back. Hey friends, guess what? I've got a new book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide on March 8th called Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. This book is based on something I call genealogical regressions. Because sometimes when I'm working with clients, I go into their past lives and I realize this is not the source event of the challenge. We need to send light and love to ancestors in order to make our lives the wonderful places that we want to be. So I hope you'll check out my new book and stay tuned for class announcements, book signings, and more as March gets closer. Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life, coming March 8th from Llewellyn Worldwide. Welcome back to Healing Arts. I'm Dr. Shelley Care. Visit me online at www.pastlifelady.com. So what did you think about this discussion with Joanne and this idea that, you know, somebody tells you you have this fabulous destiny and then things just don't turn out that way? You know, I just think there's a lot of different choices and different decisions that we make in this life path. And I don't think that any, I don't know, I just think this is always kind of in flux. That's just, it's things that I think about a lot myself. I, I still think that maybe there's certain people we're destined to meet at certain times and in certain places, but yet there's still free will and there's this interplay of different things that can go on. And 
with this particular story that we were talking about today, I still think, you know, who's to say that this gentleman hasn't fulfilled his destiny? You know, I don't think that that's any for anyone down here to judge myself, because I think that we all do the best we can with what we're given. And at the highest level, you know, that connection that we have to our creator and the universe, you know, only the soul itself, in my opinion, can know exactly what it's here to fulfill. So anyway, it's weird things to think about for sure. Have a blessed week, and I hope you get out and enjoy some of this lovely weather, and I hope that you continue to have a joyful, peaceful, loving path, and I just can't wait until we connect again on the next episode of Healing Arts. Namaste. Hey, friends. I want you to check out my Past Life Lady YouTube channel. It has tons of free videos that teach you how to do all kinds of things from energy healing, gem and mineral healing. I've got guided imagery up there for you. So check it out. Just go over to YouTube and type the words past life lady in the search bar and hit subscribe. And I'll look forward to welcoming you over to my channel today. Healing Arts is sponsored in part by PastLifeLady.com, my official website where you can find information about past life regression, my books, energy healing methods, gems, stones, and minerals, and more. Visit PastLifeLady.com for more details and through the generous donations from supporters like you. Click on the links to discover how you can support the Healing Arts program. And thank you in advance. Namaste.